Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Piano player here, huh? Isn't this guy amazing? Look at that. Sit together. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? It's a beautiful day in this beauty. What a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in this neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Take your time. Since we're together, we might as well say, won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say hi to them while I tie my shoes this morning? <laughs> oh, man. Are you having fun with this series? Won't you be my neighbor? You know, that last week we uh, opened it up and we talked about how to be a good neighbor. Remember the first thing we had to do to be a good neighbor? Slow down. Everyone say slow down. How many of you are like, I can embrace that one, hopefully. You were talking about the first thing you had to do is slow down, but then we talked about how Jesus shared the greatest commandment, which was to what? To love God. And then the second was equal to it, which is to love your neighbor. This week what we're doing is we're going to look at the account of the story in Luke as it continues on where the, where the uh, expert in the law was asking, so Jesus, who is my neighbor? And when you looked at the life of Fred Rogers in the neighborhood, this was his life mission to welcome all neighbors, every neighbor, no matter what you believed, your race, your tribe, your career, your level of ability. It was an idea of embracing all of your neighbor. And this was the challenge that they had. So as we continue in this today, I want to kind of start off with this Fred Rogers quote. See, when they asked Fred Rogers, how do you define who your neighbor is? This, this is what he said. He said, your neighbor is the person you happen to be with at the moment. So whoever you're with in that moment, this is your neighbor. And he went on to say, every person is made in the image of God. I love that. And for that reason, he or she is to be valued or appreciated. If you were here last week, you know how Fred Rogers, he integrated his faith into everything that he did. Because we get this whole idea of appreciation as we look at the life of Jesus and what he taught. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke as we look at chapter 10. Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And let's read this together. We're looking at verses 25 through 29. Could you be a good neighbor and read with me today? Let's do this together. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher... What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And 
love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Have you ever been in that position where you wanted to justify your actions, right? How do I do this, Jesus? See, this key question of who is my neighbor, we hit a little bit on it last week, but this week I want to lean in a little bit more. He was asking a very detailed question of who is my neighbor because there was a lot of discrepancy into what that meant, especially in that day. But I think we have that same challenge today. So as we look at this first point today, and I'm going to be moving a little bit fast because one of my neighbors is going to come by for a visit today. Are you excited? You know, every show that, that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had, there, at one point there was a knock on the door. So be listening for that knock. Here we go. So first of all, who is my neighbor? If you remember last week, we learned that the scribes, when they defined who my neighbor was, their neighbor was a fellow Jew. Someone like them, someone who believed the same as them. So when you had this command to love your neighbor, it was a lot easier. Because it meant a fellow Jew. It wasn't a non-Israelite, and it certainly wasn't the Gentiles. And see, I think for our society, we often fall into this trap. Because we may say one thing, but we often do something else, don't we? We may say we embrace everybody, but when we start looking at our friend circles and those that we really love... We end up being in our own echo chamber a lot of times, loving those who think like us, those who look like us, those who watch the same news network as us, those who like the same things on Facebook as us, our current friend group. But we need to recognize as we look at ourselves, and for me, I'm looking at the man in the mirror this morning. This is a message I'm preaching to myself, and I'm saying, Jesus, have I embraced this? Because this is not what Jesus commanded us to do. He didn't say acknowledge your neighbor. He didn't even say tolerate your neighbor. What did Jesus say we have to do? Love your neighbor. And last week we talked about it was not just a friendship love, not just a phileo love as the Greeks called it. It's that agape love, that God love, that selfless love, that giving of yourself love. That's the kind of love that we're talking about when it comes to our neighbor. And that's why when Jesus defined who our neighbor was, he said that your neighbor is who? It's everybody. It's everybody. And he corrected this view by going on in the Gospel of Luke and talking about the Good Samaritan. How many of you have heard about the Good Samaritan before? Have you heard about that guy? For those of you who may not know, this is the continuation in in verses 25 to 29. And basically in a nutshell, the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told, it talked about how this Jewish man got robbed, stripped, left for dead alongside of a pathway. And along the way, two Jews came by. One was a priest and one was a temple assistant. And instead of helping him, those two Jews left this Jew, left for dead, and they ignored him. The priest even went to the other side and totally ignored him. But the person that Jesus said that was a good neighbor, the one who stopped and helped, was actually a Samaritan. Now, Samaritan may mean nothing to you, but to that day, a Samaritan, this was somebody who was hated by the Jews. And the Samaritans, they didn't like the Jews either. When you look at the background of this, there was this deep hatred that went all the way back to 721 B.C. See, the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. The race came about after the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 B.C., This is when some of the Jews, they actually stayed there and they intermarried and and created their, their, their own race known as the Samaritans. 
And the Jews, they didn't trust the Samaritans because the Samaritans, they didn't follow their laws. They actually made their own religious system, and they actually built their own temple. And they said, we're going to do it our way. There was a lot of hatred here, and there was a lot of distrust. And so as you look at this question about who is your neighbor and the interpretation of Jewish law, for Jesus to look at a Samaritan, this was a very strategic pick. Because now he was taking a Samaritan to illustrate how to interpret the law. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine God taking something that you hate, something that you resist, someone that you actually go to the other side of the road for, and the Lord's saying, I'm going to use this person to teach you something about me. Let that sink in for a minute. As, maybe the Lord's done that. Has the Lord ever done that? He's taken something that you hated to teach you something that you need to know, and you go, oh, Lord, I need to hear that. This is what we're going through today. Great hostility. Even at one point, when they were just filled with hatred for Jesus, the Jewish leaders, thinking of the worst thing that they could call Jesus, you know what they called Jesus? They called him a demon-possessed Samaritan. The very worst of the name. This is how much they hate it. I want us to catch what Jesus is saying in this today. What Jesus is saying to us through this story, and as he was looking at these Jewish leaders, he was saying, look, your enemy was a better neighbor, even to your own people, than you are to your own people. That's tough, isn't it? You ever been guilty of that? You see somebody love your family better than you loved your family even? This is what's going on. And basically what he's saying to this person is he's saying, look, stop spending your time trying to determine who your neighbor is and who you're justified by the law to love because you're called to love everybody. You're called to love everybody. As we just heard and we just read, everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is a masterpiece, and we are called to love everybody. How many would say amen to that and go, I agree with that? We're called to love everybody. Everybody we're called to love. So he's telling them and he's telling us, stop focusing on who is your neighbor and begin focusing on how can I love my neighbor. You know, when the writer of one of the books that I've been, been, been going, The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers by Amy Hollingsworth, it's in the, in the footnotes there of the listening guide. And I, I encourage you to read it, an amazing account of his life from a faith perspective. But she says it this way. She says it that Jesus transformed the question of who is my neighbor into the directive to be the good neighbor. So it's not who is your neighbor, it's the directive, be a good neighbor. And now since my neighbor is everyone, how do I love everyone? Well, we look to what God did. How did God love everyone? John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that the world... Through them that none should perish. You remember that from your, son, from your Sunday school class? For God so loved the world that he gave his only, forgot, only begotten son. This is what he did. He gave. So that through Jesus, through the giving of life, no one should perish. See, this is how we are to live in loving people is that reconnection to God. So it comes to our next question in that, in connecting people, there's a question that's come up in a lot of circles. And the question is this. Is it okay to share my faith? See, I grew up in a generation in my church where we were, said, we were told every week, share your faith, share your faith, tell people. We even did a lot of these plays that focused on a lot of tactics to get people to experience God. But we're in a culture now where this whole idea of sharing your faith can be a little bit different. 
See, we get the humanitarian side, and as Christians, we've often led the way in, in feeding people and sheltering people, going even back to George Mueller, who, who created this orphanage to rescue kids off of the street, and his only fundraising source was prayer. He prayed every day that God would provide, and God provided every day. We have a rich humanitarian, and even today, even with Dorian, Christian humanitarian organizations are the first responders there ready to go around the world, even locally, Union Gospel Mission, the Bread of Life Mission. But often it's this whole aspect of what does it mean to love our neighbor as it relates living out and sharing our faith. See, Jesus, he taught us that sharing our faith is an essential practice of following him. And this is what he did. Jesus strategically, he positioned himself in the marketplace with people so that they could come to know him and as a result be reconnected with their heavenly father. Jesus did this strategically. See, he taught in the synagogue, but he walked in the marketplace in public areas. Loving people, sharing with people. He even sent his disciples out two by two in the beginning of this, of this chapter, Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. In Mark 16, 15, it's, we, we, it records that Jesus said, go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And Paul writing in Philemon chapter uh, 1, verse 6, he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. It's pretty clear, isn't it? We are called, we are commanded to love our neighbor and that it's important to share our faith. And it's also a part of us growing in sharing our faith. But when we look at the data and the research that has come out, the data shows that each generation, instead of getting better at this, we're actually backing away from it. The data shows that each generation is getting more and more hesitant and even more resistant to sharing their faith, even though they agree that sharing their faith is important. I want you to see this chart a little bit, and there's more data in the listening guide. But this comes out of, uh, from David Kenneman with Barna Research. And again, the links are in your notes. But when they researched the different generations, from elders to boomers, Gen X, and to millennials, when they asked the, the question, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus, there is unity in the answer. Yes, we believe that. Part of my faith means that I should be a witness for Christ. When we talk about the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus, we still have unity in this. That yes, we believe that the best part, the best thing that could happen to somebody is that they come to know Jesus. And in the area of when someone raises questions about faith, do I know how to respond? And again, a lot of unity here ranging from 86 to 92% across the generations. This is good news, isn't it? We believe we should share, and we believe that we are equipped to share. But when you start moving down in the data, you find that the generations start to split. And here's where they split. The millennials actually feel more gifted at sharing their faith. Who are all my millennials out there? They're like, uh, what are you going to say? <laughs> the millennials feel more gifted. They study, they've educated themselves. They feel more gifted to do this. But when they look at the data, they found that more and more the millennial generation believe it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith, 47%. That's, that's a big change. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. 
And I encourage you to dive into the information. Again, the link is there. And it goes so much deeper than we can go today. And I, I think part of this, there's no way that we can dive fully into this, but it's a conversation I would love to continue. But I think part of it is that we need to recognize is that we are in a, in a day and age where Christianity is nowhere near as well accepted as it was. Right? I remember that like, when I first started out even being a pastor, you know, when somebody would find out that I was a pastor, it was almost, it was a good thing. Even if they didn't serve the Lord, if, if, they, weren't, if they weren't a Christian, a Christ follower, being a pastor is a good thing. Today when I walk down, downtown Seattle and I tell somebody that I'm a pastor, there's suspicion. And a lot of times there's even backing away. And I would even say it this way, that for me coming back, many of you know my story. When I first came back, uh, I, I was blessed to work at this amazing coffee house as a barista in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. And walking in, having been there 15 years ago coming in, when people would ask me, what, you know, what do you do when you're not a barista? I was like, man, what am I going to say, God? How can I tell this? Because 15 years ago when I came in and I told the pastor, it would be pushback. It would be you're a hater, you're all this. Do you know what the answer I would often get from young baristas 20 years old? What is a pastor? No knowledge at all. It got to the point where if I told somebody that I was a pastor, by them asking conversation, I didn't go through going, hey, I'm a pastor. I just, just walking through, they would ask me if they were accepting of it. They were, they were normally from Seattle and had no connection with a pastor. If they were, I saw some anger or pushback, I would say to them, you didn't grow up in Seattle, did you? And they would say, no, how did, how did you know that? And I would just walk them through and I would say, what's your story? And they would tell me a story about they came from a different part of the country and had a bad experience with the church. This is the culture that we're living in. You know, there are greater hurdles. And I think even as growing up as Christians and as our young generation goes out, there's such a fear of being attached to some of the negative stereotypes, isn't there? Because the stereotypes often of Christians are, we're haters we're unintelligent for believing in fairy tales. And even if we disagree, it's often viewed as hate and a lack of support. And in some job situations, I've even had millennials come up to me and say, you know what, when people find out that I'm a Christian at work, my job is in jeopardy. And definitely my career is in jeopardy because now I'm not offered promotions that I normally would be. There's a lot of pressure that I never faced. I think so sometimes it's very easy to look at our millennials and to have that judgment, and sometimes we can get onto that, but here's what I want to say. And Tiffany, I said I wouldn't cry, but I, I can't stop. I am so proud of our millennials here. I am so proud of them. They tell me stories, how they're sharing Christ, how they're struggling with their faith. I'm so proud of our high school students that tell me stories, how they're sharing Christ with people. And I'm going to cry, and I don't care. I love how our elementary students, they stand up for their rights in classrooms. When they hear something that is not of God, they talk about their faith and they do it respectfully and they do it lovingly. So what I'm here to say is that the millennials that I talk to and the ones that I meet in this place, they are living their faith out and they inspire me and they even teach me and they give me direction. So I want to give it up for our millennials and for all of our students and for the faith that you're living out. They're on a different side of, of this stat. And that's my prayer as we walk through, is that we would see them, we would embrace them, we would learn from them. I learned something from an elementary kid this week about how to respectfully disagree for your faith. See, I believe that millennials have been positioned strategically 
to be world changers for the body of Christ. Because part of the data as they dig into it has revealed this, that typically older generations, when they look at their friend circle, their neighbors, that as far as their close friends, they might have one person that believes different than them. Millennials on average have four people that are in their inner circle that believe different than them, that are friends that they do life with. Isn't that amazing? So today, as we move forward, and I thought about God, you know, teach us today, instruct us today from your word. Looking at Mr. Rogers now, he always had someone come up to his door and teach him. Today, I'd like for you to welcome one of my favorite neighbors as she comes to teach us about how to share your faith. Would you welcome Tiffany Jones this morning? Hi, neighbor. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Oh, oh gosh. Tiffany is someone, she's been a part of our leadership team, and uh, she's someone that I've been following her story now uh, for the past five years since I've been back. And the more that she talked and the more I saw how she walked out her faith, it became more apparent that this is something that we need to hear today. So, so Tiffany, thank you for being brave and stepping up. I know that you love being here right now, don't you? Um, no, I'm actually <laughs> petrified, but that's okay. We, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. Yes, yes, we can. So today we're going to have a conversation with one of my neighbors as we talk about this. So, so Tiffany, why don't you kind of start off by just telling us about where you work. Okay. Well, first, hello, everyone. I'm Tiffany, for those of you that don't know me. Um, and I work at a collectible toy and um, collectible company in Everett called Funko. And she even brought me a Mr. Rogers pop doll today. <laughs> I felt cool? it was only fitting. It was um, very fitting. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I am a creative manager there. Awesome. I've been there about four years. And so tell us a little bit, give us kind of an inside view of what is the culture like at where you work? So the culture at Funko is very unique. I work on the art department, and our floor is different than almost any other floor there. Um, it is a floor of 83 different artists that I manage throughout the week, and it is very open. Our floor plan is open, dialogue and discussion is open, it's mm. very free-flowing. Um, we have a rule that you can ju discuss just about anything on the floor until someone says they're uncomfortable, and then you have to take a break. Um, but can, I, can I do that sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> on top of that, though, we have representation on the floor across the board for almost mm. every race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, um, socioeconomic status. Pretty much anything that runs the gambit is represented, and it's represented in high numbers. So if you were to speak to my coworkers, they would tell you I'm the weird one because I'm normal and boring. So that's kind of how it goes, and it's just very open. Wow. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the cool things, you know, as we've been talking about it, one of the cool things that I loved is that you actually talked to your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors at work, and told them what was going on. And you actually had a conversation with them about today. Is that right? Yeah. So when Dwayne first asked me to speak, my initial response was no. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm afraid to speak in public. And I was telling my coworkers and one of my really good friends, uh, she had said, Tiff, you have to do this. She's not a follower of Jesus. And, but she said, if you are going to speak, you will represent us. And right now we don't have a voice in this conversation, so you have to be the one to speak for us. And so in, in thoughts with that, I asked four of my friends to get together for a round, round table discussion lunch on what they would say. 
So I had her. Um, she is in her mid-20s. She's my packaging artist, one of them. She grew up in the Christian home and went to a Christian school, but everything was very restrictive. And so because of that, she no longer follows Jesus. Um, I had a friend of mine who is a father of two. He is in his mid-30s. He grew up in an atheistic household, and he now identifies as an agnostic. I have um, a friend who just became a Christian two years ago, but her husband is not a believer, and so she is working within a mixed-faith marriage. And then one of my closest friends at work, he is in his late 40s, early 50s. He is an amazing father of one, and he is a member of the Satanic Temple of Seattle. Mm, wow. What an amazing group. And this conversation, this didn't happen, this, this wouldn't have happened like your first week on a job, right? No. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Starting out um, was really, really rough. So I am a big believer in that there are two types of Christians at work. And what I mean by that is there are the people who don't share their faith because, like you said, they're mm -hmm. afraid. There could be ramifications. Um, what if people judge me? What if they look at me differently? What if they don't want to be my friend? Mm -hmm. um, but on the other side, there's the people who are like, well, they're going to find out anyway, and it's going to be uncomfortable, so I'm going to lean into that discomfort. I tend to be the latter. <laughs> I'm more of a rip-the-band-aid-off kind of girl, so I'm going to be honest on that. Um, but I also believe, for me, that's always been the best, um, best way to go, only because then you get to control the message they hear. Mm. Whereas if you hide it or you don't talk about it and they find out, they begin to wonder, well, is, is she ashamed of it? Is she, afraid? is she a hypocrite like everyone else? And we haven't seen it from her in these years. And suddenly it becomes this narrative that you never intended to happen, but that occurs and affirms all of these previous stereotypes and notions that they may already have. Mm, wow. Yeah, I think sometimes when I've heard of stories and I've, and I've even seen it where people have, they've kind of been cautious with sharing their faith, it almost creates more of a distrust and more mm -hmm. suspicion yeah. because there's that inauthenticity that's there. So um, talk about, as we talked about this, you talk about kind of walking this out, the, the two types, and you're the rip off the Band-Aid <laughs> type of a person. Um, this kind of brought up some brave moments for you, things you described as brave moments. Can you tell us about one of those brave moments for you? Yeah, um, one of my bravest moments is also what I classify as my stupidest moment. <laughs> what I mean by that is before I was a creative manager, I was a project manager, and I was on a team of 25 people, and we had some very tight deadlines and tough costing and all of these things coming up against us. And of the team of 25, I was the only one to actually be able to hit those deadlines. And so my boss came to me and said, I want you to go before the board of directors and present tips and tricks on, on what you're doing that's different. So I got up with my board, uh, with my little whiteboard, and I began to present um, with my boss there, and one of the execs stopped me and said, look, it's great what you're saying, but what you're saying is everything I've heard, and we really want to know what you're doing differently. Like, what is the difference? And without thinking, <laughs> I said, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire room burst into laughter. And in my head, I'm going, oh, dear God in heaven, what did I just say? Um, and my boss stops them and goes, actually, she believes that's true. And the same executive says to me, well, surely you don't think it's Jesus. And it became this moment of like, okay, Lord, you're going to be here. Like, shoot your shot or don't. Um, sorry. And I, uh, 
I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. You're asking me what I do differently. And I am telling you that my husband prays over me every single night and every project I do. And you're also telling me that I'm the only person hitting these deadlines. And I am telling you that the only difference is that it's Jesus. Wow. Oh. And, <laughs> um, and everybody went silent. There was not claps like here. <laughs> and that same executive said, well, Jesus seems to be working for you, so go with Jesus. Here we go. And that's how we ended the meeting, <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do. But right. it was this moment where I was like, okay, Lord, like, put up or shut up. Like, this is the moment. I'm scared, but you're going to go through this with me. Because so. you could have said, oh, I'm a great worker, and I studied at Northwest University, and I know what I'm doing, and it's all me. Yeah. You could have said that. Yeah, but it's also like, I, by that time, I'd been there two years. I'd already had many conversations about faith. And so for me, it was, okay, am I going to stand by what I'm going to say, even in this really, really rough moment, and, and hope it goes okay? Or do I just say, well... It's this or that or whatever. Like, and, and honestly, I wasn't thinking, this is my big faith moment. Like, it just came out. Mm. And, you know, it's like the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, yeah. the mouth speaks. And so it was one of those moments where my heart got way ahead of my brain, and I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so glad you did. I'm, I'm so glad you did. You know, I, I, I think what we're kind of seeing is, you know, we know, and you've seen this too, that people, they're very cautious Often, especially in an environment like this, where you are the only normal one, or whatever they called you, um, where there's a lot of caution and a lot of fear in people. People have to have this fear of Christianity that you've been able to kind of push through. So why is it that you think that um, even though a lot of your coworkers, they believe different, they engage with you, where a lot of times Christians kind of struggle to kind of break through that barrier? So I, when I sat them down and I asked them, in our round table, I said, okay, what do Christians do well? What do Christians do poorly? What do I do well? What do I do poorly? And what can we all improve on? Um, the biggest thing that they said is, Tiff, it's your approach. And what I mean by that is I said, well, I don't understand. And they said, most Christians, when I speak to them, the first thing they do is they say, well, here's where you're wrong and I don't agree. And they make that hard line and no conversation can happen. But your rule, Tiff, you say this all the time, is you believe in empathy first and truth second. And you listen and then you love. Mm. And what that means is I have to be vulnerable and let them talk first and say whatever. And they could be saying bad things. I mean, I've run the gambit. I've gotten, Tiffany and Christians are terrible people. Tiffany, I thought you were intelligent. How do you believe in fairy tales? All of these things. Um, but then it's also a moment where you have to be able to listen and share. Um, an example of this is I had a coworker I work with, and she is a wonderful sculptor. And I'd been working with her for about three years, and she came to me one day, and she said, Tiff, I really need to talk to you. And she pulled me into this, this meeting room, and I knew it was important because she looked really scared. And I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, well, I've been working with you for a while now, and I've been afraid to tell you, but I feel since you're my friend, you need to know I'm a bisexual. And... She just sat there waiting. And I knew, and I, I, like, this was a moment where I could say, okay, well, I don't agree with that, and I don't know that we can spend time together. I don't, and instead I just paused and took a breath, because sometimes we all have to think. And then I said, why did you think I would respond poorly? And she began to tell me the story about how she was raised by her grandparents, 
as her parents and that they were conservative Christians and she went to church with them every week and they were great grandparents growing up. And then she hit 18 and she came out to them as bisexual and they looked her in the face and said, get out of my house. Mm. I don't have a granddaughter anymore. Mm. And their church followed suit. Ah. And so because of that, she lost everything in one moment. And so I paused again, I let her speak. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. And I don't care if we don't agree on things. No one ever deserves to be treated that way. And we don't have to agree, but I still love you. Mm. And we began to have this conversation and, and we talked about it. And, you know, we both don't align on certain areas, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have value or isn't made in the image of God mm. or, yeah. or who she is isn't important. The other thing my coworkers said was they said, well, Tiff, you're the bulldog, which it's not a bad thing. <laughs> I feel the need to explain. What that means is I am known that on the floor that if anyone bullies the artist, if they come at them with tighter deadlines or try to get more stuff out of them than they should, they'll go Tiff and I will get up and go over and, and start with, we're gonna have a conversation and it's not gonna go well from you, for you, so you need to back up from my artist right now. And then we'll discuss how, how they broke the rules and it won't work. So they always say, okay, stand down if it's not a big thing. But what that means is I will fight for them. Mm. I will be in their corner no matter what. We can be disagreeing and I will still fight for them. And I believe that we are called to be advocates yeah. for our people. Yeah. Like part of the reason I told, and I told my friend this, part of the reason I was afraid to speak today is yes, I'm, I'm scared of speaking in public. <laughs> But two, I love them so much, and I want you all to love them as much as I, mm. I do, and I want to represent them well. Mm. And yeah. so it's just a moment where I would say, if you want to be different, if you want to approach it differently, be in their corner first. Care about who they are. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you're on the opposite ends of the spectrum, be there and fight for them because it matters. Mm. Wow, isn't that good? Yeah. It, uh, you know, when Tiff was sharing this, it, it made me think about the woman who was caught in adultery, you know, when, um, when they were going to stone her. Uh, the first thing that Jesus did, he didn't rush in and say, how dare you commit adultery. The first thing that Jesus did was what? He protected her, and he got rid of her accusers. The last thing he said was, now go and sin no more, but only after he protected her and loved her. And he said, where are your accusers? They're all gone. I'm not accusing you either. Follow me. What a great great lesson that is. You know, as you've kind of walked this out, um, you know, so many relationships and so, 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 so many things we could talk about. Uh, you have kind of a unique relationship with, with someone that's kind of developed into this cool kind of a weekly meeting now. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for them to kind of hear about that a little bit. Okay, so I referred to him earlier, but one of my artists, he uh, is a member of the Satanic Temple of Seattle. And uh, when I started at church and I let everyone know, oh, I'm, I'm Tiffany, I'm a Christian, da 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 It didn't go that way, but that's pretty much it. Um, he was the first one that was very like, well, I don't want anything to do with you, kind of thing. Like, oh, like, Christians are terrible, so you're going to be terrible. And we would work on projects together and everything would go well, and then we would finish and these same comments would come out. And so I finally just turned to him one day and said, at the end of a project, we both had had it go awry, and we had each other's back, and he started in on this. And I finally just said, you know, dude, what's your deal? Like, 
I have done nothing to you, and we, we've worked together well, so what is your hang-up here? Like, there is something here. And he began to talk about how when he grew up, he was in the church all the time. Uh, his parents brought him to church. He had a dad who was abusive at home and was an alcoholic, but would be in church every Sunday, and they could sing the songs and say the prayers and quote what, whatever you needed. But when he got home, his dad was a different person, and, it, and no one in the church stood up for them. Like, so by the time he hit 18, it had pre-established for himself that he would never put himself under someone like that again. And so as we began to as he began to speak, he began to cry, which for him is a huge deal. This is a very gruff guy, and he's, but he has the biggest heart. I want to follow it with that. Um, and so he finished, and I responded, and what I said is, have I ever treated you this way? Has anything I have ever said to you been that way? Have you ever experienced circumstances with me where I didn't do what I said or didn't follow through? And he said, no, I haven't. I just have this pain. And I said, do you understand that your pain and my pain are similar? I grew up in the church, and I had a parent who didn't follow through with their faith. And I experienced pain and hurt and things going on within that. And your pain and my pain are similar, so let's start there and see what we can do. Mm. And so... As we began to work together more, we became friends. Like, we built this bridge of friendship, and um, I let him know as time went on, you know, I value you. You're not just a person who is a Satanist. You are an amazing dad. You are a wonderful husband to your wife. You are an amazing artist. You're a hard worker. There are so many good things about you. Yes, there is this piece that I may not see eye to eye on, but it doesn't mean that all of these other things aren't valuable. And so because of that, we began to meet. He said, Tiff, I want to meet with you. There's something different. I want to have a discussion. So we meet once a week and have lunch. And we each bring a topic of conversation to discuss. And we meet with the establishment of the rule that we will have mutual respect for one another, even if we don't agree. And if you break that rule, we pause and stop and go home, regroup, and try again next week. And this has been going on now for about four years. Mm. So wow. we've been meeting a lot. And the question I get a lot from people at work or even here is, are you trying to convert him? Is that the reason you're his friend? And I want to be very clear about something. One of the most detrimental things you can do is create a friendship with that end game in mind. Because what you are saying is, this person isn't valuable for who they are, but what I can get. And we don't deserve to ever use someone in that manner just as you wouldn't want to. So my answer is no. I am friends with him because he is valuable to God. He is loved. I love him, and he is a great friend, and who he is matters. And I actually asked him if there was one thing he would say today, what would he say? And it's interesting what Chris said earlier because he said, you know, you may get one shot. And what my friend said to me was, you know, I don't, I don't socialize with Christians. I don't interact. So sometimes you may be the only example of Jesus someone sees, so make it a good one. Mm. Like, shoot your shot. Don't sit there and waffle because it's wasting time mm -hmm. that you may not have or they may not have. Yeah. So. What was that thing you said, talk the talk and walk the walk? Was that his mm -hmm. thing? Yeah, he, he grew yeah. up going to Christian churches. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, I think Toby Mac said that somewhere, but he's I have no idea. <laughs> 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 I mean, just just amazing. I mean, just going back, I, I I hope that we're absorbing this. This is real life in the moment, and it's not always, you know, there are those great moments that come in, but there's also those tough moments where you're like, oh, this is so tough. But but Tiffany, so all of this, you know, um, we kind of wrap it up. How has this affected your walk with Christ? How has this changed you? Uh, I would say it's strengthened and challenged me. And what I mean by that is, like, I grew up in the church. I have my pastoral degree. I can, I can talk the Bible backwards and forwards. But when you get questions every day that make you say, hey, I need to actually research this and think about it so I can give you an honest answer, that's growth. I think it's awesome. Like, I've made amazing friends. I love them all very much. Um, I think they've helped me become a better Christian because I've grown in that. I also understand that I'm studying and I'm responding how I am because they deserve the best version of me. As, as a manager, that's what they deserve. And so what that means is I need to be the best example of Jesus that I can. Mm -hmm. And that means that when someone is different or someone doesn't believe the same or someone's on the polar opposite end, instead of thinking, well, they're different than me, I have to attack because it's a threat. Seeing those commonalities, seeing what pain you share can change everything mm. because right now we live in a very polarizing society where everything is me and them mm. but it should be us mm-hmm. and like I my big thing is like I want to carry that us mentality because it matters like whether you're going to school or you're going to work or you're going wherever you need to bring that mentality with you because that's what Jesus did yeah. and that's what Mr. Rogers did. Right. And that's what we are called to do. Mm-hmm. Amen. See, she says she can't preach, but I mean, she's just, you know. <laughs> this is the best sermon all, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Let's hear it for our neighbor. That was a good neighbor. I'm done now. Oh, wow. So she said no to me twice, but I kept asking. So thank you so much, uh, Tiffany. You know, um, you know, it made me think of, you know, when Tiffany was, was talking about, you know, our end game is never to coerce somebody, is it? You don't force people. Do you enjoy being forced? I don't. Our end game for all of us then in all of this is that we start off with ourselves. That's what Jesus does. He's out to transform us, that our lives are transformed, that we become like mirrors that reflect who God is. That's, that's the first stop, isn't it? And then my goal with everyone that I meet, whether it's my kids, my wife, all of you at a coffee house downtown, whether I'm cleaning up at Ridgecrest, whatever I'm doing, is that, God, I, I pray that people would see you in my life. You know, I think about it like a tuning fork, you know. And uh, I don't know if this analogy will connect with everybody, but I always think about it because, I'm, I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm a musician. There's a tuning fork, and a tuning fork, when it strikes the note of that tuning fork, that tuning fork vibrates, and it moves, and it responds to the note that's gone out. We need to recognize that every human being, whether they believe, follow Christ, or not, they're made in the image of God. There's this tuning fork inside of them. And if they can hear the music of Christ coming from you in the way that you talk, the way that you respond, the love that you give, do you, you know what's going to happen? The tuning fork is in them is going to start ringing. You don't need to coerce. You don't need to force. You just need to be transformed with the life of Christ and just let his music ring from you. Whether it's swinging a hammer or pouring 
espresso shots, whatever it is that you do. Loving your kids, being active. Let that pour forth. I've seen this time and time again. We had a young woman show up on our front step here in Shoreline several years ago. And she was doing a paper about, about, about fundamentalism. So she, she walked across the street and said, you're a pastor. Can I interview you? I'm like, sure. And as she asked questions, I was just answering. And she began to cry. I was even making jokes and she was crying. And she said, why am I crying? And I looked at her and I said, that's because you were made in the image of God. You've asked me about God and I'm telling you. And that's ringing. And even though it may be caked in with a lot of hurt and a lot of stuff and a lot of abuse and a lot of things from the past, God's saying, I love you, child. You are mine. I'm calling you out. Will you let it ring? Will you let that ring restore you? Because when you let the voice of God speak and bring that tuning fork alive in you, it will transform you. And what was once dead in you, now music will start to pour forth in you. That's what this whole Won't You Be My Neighbor series is about. God's looking at you and say, are you willing to be transformed? Are you willing to be the neighbor that I've called you to be because I've strategically placed you, whether it's at Funko or whatever place you're in or in your home or in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex so you'll be transforming. You'll start ringing and you'll start singing and everyone around you will say, what's happening? And your end game is not to manipulate them and to coerce them, but it's that their tuning fork will start to ring to the voice of God that's in you and they'll say, what is this? And you, all you have to say is, it's the love of God speaking to you. He made you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Your word says that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And Lord, the testimony that we've heard today, Lord, I pray that it would inspire us. I know there are many more testimonies here that are yet to begin. Some are already happening and Lord, some, they're, they're standing in fear of what will happen. Lord, I pray that you would transform our lives, that our lives would ring with the music of God. Your voice would ring through us. Your love would ring through us. To a world that is so confused, behind every person that is distant from you, there's a story of someone who's seen a counterfeit vi version of you. But Lord, may we be the real thing. Search our hearts. Make us clean. May we be praying the prayer of David. Reveal to me even my unknown sin because I want to walk pure before you. I want to see what would happen if I surrendered my life to God. What would happen if I totally handed over everything and allowed his spirit to fill me and empower me. What would happen in my home, in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood. That's the call. That's the call. As we just take these few moments to, this morning to respond. I want you to take the heart because God is empowering you. He's speaking to you and he's wanting that fork to ring. Just a few questions. And maybe these questions, maybe they resonate with you today. But I want you to ask yourself, how can I be a good neighbor with those who believe differently than me? Maybe even those that scare me. Maybe those that they hate me. Or maybe your confession today is, you know, and I, I hate them. This is a day where you confess and you ask forgiveness. And you say, God, how can I befriend those? The Lord is calling us because we're all missionaries today. Whether you're in Ecuador, whether you're in Shoreline, Seattle, in the Soto District, wherever you are, Mount Lake Terrace, Marysville. You are there as a missionary. And so your call is, where is God calling you to step outside of your comfort zone today? Maybe you're going, I want to experience that. 
I want to have those lunches with people where we're talking about what matters to us. I want to grow in this. If you want to grow, I want to encourage you to step out. To step out and say, God, that's me. I want to be that missionary. If you're standing here today and you're saying, I'm entering the missionary call. I want to be used by God. Just lift up your hand and hold it high and proud. This is the easy place. This is the echo chamber. You're going, I want God to use me wherever I go. I want to reflect his goodness. And just lift it up, not to me, but to God as a sign of surrender. And say, God, take my life and use it. I lift my hands to you as a sign of surrender. Students in high school, you're going, I want my life to be used. How many students, you want to be surrendered to God and say, use my life in high school. I want you to use me, Lord. Speak to me. Lord, here we stand as your disciples, your missionaries. All I want to hear when I stand before you is, well done. Dwayne, well done. <laughs> well done. So, Lord, where we need to be cleansed, clean us. Where we need to be strengthened and healed, heal us. Where we need to have boldness to step forward, may we step forward. Fill us with your word, we pray, as we respond now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The team's going to close us out in, in a song. And I know we've gone a little bit longer today. This is important. Maybe your sign of surrender is going to the communion table and saying, I'm stepping up. Or our prayer team is there on the side. You need to go and you need, maybe you need to confess and say, you know what? I struggle with this. Heal me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. But before we rush out, let's take some moments to process and to listen to a 